Father, we do come to you today expressing again our gratitude, expressing our praise, giving all glory and honor to you. When we think of your amazing grace in sending your Son to provide a way that we could know you, that we could be washed, that we could be cleansed, that we could be made new. It just overwhelms the mind. And so today, Father, we just want to love you and thank you for what you have done and for what you are doing. We thank you for the work that you have accomplished and for the work you have yet to accomplish, both in our lives and in the world around us. And our prayer, Father, is that you be glorified, that you speak to us the morning, that we would he- this morning, that we would hear from you. It is in the name of your Son I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading was from Isaiah chapter 61. It is, of course, a a familiar passage. Uh, You will be aware that we have been in a series uh, over the last six weeks. I hope you will be aware that we've been in a series over the last six weeks. But we've been refocusing on the mission and the purpose of this church. It's an exciting time in the life of Pendleton Street Baptist Church, not only because we're going to have a geographic location. We're building a building back on the West End. We get to go back to where God planted us 133 years ago geographically, but because as a church, periodically, every church needs to come back and say, God, we want to be clear on what it is you called us to do, what it is you called us to be, what does your word say about us and your work in the world in us and through us. We have been re-studying or re-emphasizing the the values that we hold as a congregation, the values that come from Scripture. Uh, We've mentioned six, three of them that First of all, focus on our attention and relationship to God. The first is that we worship. They are vital. We worship authentically in spirit and truth, loving the Lord with all our hearts and souls and minds. This is the first and great commandment. But not only do we worship and know how to worship and know who to worship, we know that because of the truth that God has given to us and that He has preserved for us, the truth of His Word, truth without any mixture of error at all. It is God's eternal truth. And so we proclaim truth, God's eternal, unchanging truth, revealed in His written word and preserved and revealed in His living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Now it is one thing to convey our adoration to God, something else to study His word, but we know that we can't live apart from Him, that it is His Spirit that lives within us. And the way that we commune with His Spirit is through prayer, reliant prayer, This is more than simply giving God a list of things to do as though placing our order with someone who can meet our needs. This is communing with God in fellowship and asking Him to open our eyes so we can see who He is, know Him more, know Him better, know Him more completely. So that we can know His will and be filled with all wisdom according to God's will. And then we can walk in obedience being powered by God. So we pray reliantly. We pray dependent upon Him. The next three of our values relate to how we relate to people, the commission, the command that God has given to us. We love people. We love all people. No distinction between Jew and Greek. No distinction between those that we are to invest our lives in. People from every walk of life. We love them with the love that has been poured out upon us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we love people, we make disciples. It is the command that God has given to us. It is a command that Jesus left with His church and has passed on to us. And to make a disciple is simply to introduce one to Christ so that as He is regenerated by the Spirit of God and made new, they follow along with us as we follow after Christ in obedience, growing, studying, learning, being continually transformed, conformed, changed to be the same as 
the image of the Lord Jesus Christ who lives within us. And part of that is we give generously. Certainly we give completely our lives to Christ at salvation and we recognize that we don't own anything, that we simply steward the things that God has entrusted to us. But part of that is that we are open-handed in what God has entrusted to us. Trusting God to be our provision, we cheerfully open our lives to others that they may see our good deeds and honor our Father who is in heaven. And all of this is wrapped up in the gospel, the good news. Unfortunately, there too many times there's a wrong understanding or an incomplete, probably better said, understanding of the gospel. It's too easy to be good church people, to go to church, attend, give, network, have relationships and friendships, and yet never experience the fullness of the gospel in our life. It's too easy to believe that the gospel is just kind of like the, the minimum Christian requirement to be able to go to heaven. Oh yeah, I've got to believe 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, that... that all of sin and control of the glory of God. This, this Romans 3. But then in 1 Corinthians that there is one Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and was born, lived perfectly, went to the cross, died to pay the penalty for our sins. And so if I believe I'm lost, I believe Jesus is saved, I believe that he'll forgive me and I say this prayer, then all of a sudden I'm a Christian and the gospel becomes basically our ticket to heaven. But there's not any real change, no real lasting change in someone's heart or life. And there may be, and I'm going to grant you this, there may be genuine repentance. There may be a time when God calls someone, opens their eyes, grants them repentance. They respond by confession and by surrender. And yet, because of a lack of study, because of lack of someone to invest their lives in them, to disciple them, to teach them, because of a lack of teaching, because of whatever reason, they've never embraced the full scope of the gospel. They've only looked at it as something that, matters or ultimately matters when you die and so this morning i want us to take a little bit a look a little bit deeper at the fullness of the gospel we teach this we believe this the bible teaches this and that is that the gospel changes your life now it's not just a way to heaven it changes your life now you've heard me say again and again and again when you come to Christ in repentance and faith, when God turns the light on, illumination by the Holy Spirit of God, when His Spirit draws and He grants repentance, when you surrender your life to Christ, you become something that you've never been before. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that affects every part of your life. You experience life like you've never experienced it before. It's, a, it's abundant living is what Jesus called it in the Gospel of John. The Gospel rightly works out in the massive transformation of people's attitudes. When a person comes to Christ, their attitudes change, their beliefs change, their behaviors change. It changes how they interact with the world around them, how we interact with the world around us. It changes how we react with our family members. It changes how we conduct business, how we interact in our business life and world. It changes... Our families, husbands, it changes how you love your wives. And wives, it changes how you love your husband. Parents, it changes how you raise your children and the values that you have with your children. Attitudes that have dominated your thinking all your life can be radically transformed. Simply put, easiest way to put it, clearest way to put it, and I know put it, is that Jesus changes everything. Amen? Now, I want a hearty amen here. I know this has started to sound like a rhetorical service. And we were talking at home group the other night about our church is very respectful and reverent. But every once in a while, we need a shout. Amen? All right. Thank you. Praise the Lord. 
Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. Changes our lives. Now, we've been talking about the mission of the church. The mission of this church. And why does it matter? Why are we studying this today? Because, frankly, why should I be inconvenienced? I'm saved and I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm saved. I recognize that my sins are forgiven. I'm right with God. I sing worship songs and they bring tears to my eyes. I love How Great Thou Art, the song that so encapsulates the, the adoration and the passion that every believer should have for, this, for our great God and His provision who did not see fit to withhold His Son but sent Him that we might have life. And I'm good. I am so, and I'm surrounded with people who kind of look like me, better, but kind of look like me. People who kind of act like me in a pretty comfortable arena of friends. I have a network. I'm, I'm not that lonely. Uh, you know, and we can become encapsulated in comfortable Christianity. And yet the call of Christ is continually to move outside of our comfort zone. We have a mission to accomplish. And can I tell you, it's going to mean that you get up early in the morning. That excites you, doesn't it? It may mean that you stay up late at night. It's going to mean that you rearrange your budget. And if you don't have a budget, it may mean that you get one. It's going to mean that you rearrange your calendar. And aren't your calendars already so full? Don't you have so much going on and so many demands? And yet when God gives us a task and a mission to call, we are at His service. Romans chapter 6, we present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. We report for duty, and we report for duty every day, but not out. Yes, duty is important. Yes, honor is important and honoring our commitment. But it's more than that. We are able to fulfill our duty, and we are able to respond with honor because of His life that indwells us. We have the very power of God living within us to accomplish the mission. And so this morning we're going to revisit the mission, but we're not going to revisit the mission of Pendleton Street Baptist Church, soon to be known as West End Baptist Church. We're going to look at Christ's mission. Why did He come? This morning, we've already had our scripture read. Stephen read from Isaiah chapter 61, and we have the mission of Christ given prophetically. Just a briefly go back, I want to look at those first two verses of Isaiah chapter 61, just the first two verses. The prophet is speaking, and this is a messianic prophecy, a prophecy regarding the anointed one, the promised Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. There we see the Trinity. We see God the Son, the me in that sentence. We see God the Father, the Lord God. We see the Holy Spirit of God anointing the Son for this task. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive. Listen to what he says. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort those who mourn. To comfort all who mourn. About 700 years before Christ was born, Isaiah recorded these words. You may know that there's a lot of prophecy about the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to make sure sometimes we have a distinct break in our mind that is false. And we think that the New Testament is just something new. The New Testament is not new. The New Testament is the fulfillment 
of the Old Testament, all of Scripture is about God's salvation through the Messiah. All of Scripture is how lost people can be saved and God's plan to bring that into case, uh, into reality. And this text is the mission statement of the Messiah, the promised deliverer, the anointed one. And it has all three members of the Trinity in its introduction. Now, unless you be in any doubt whether this is literally Jesus' mission statement, I want you to look at a corresponding passage of Scripture. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is going to sound strangely familiar if you've not been there recently. The Gospel of Luke. The fourth chapter. In Luke's Gospel, he records in the beginning of chapter 4 the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, the beginning of his Galilean ministry, his northern ministry. Now, between the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, we have the miracle at Cana. We have some other miracles and some calling of some of the disciples. We have probably months, nine months, ten months, eleven months, between the temptation in the wilderness and this introduction, the next that comes. But it is important to understand that Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, and the first place that he goes is home. He goes to the city that he was raised in, and as was his want, he went to the synagogue there. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 4. I want to back up to verse 16. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, And here's what we just read a moment ago. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and their covering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops reading at that point. And granted, there's some phrases that are a little bit different. And he takes a portion of the quote from Isaiah 58, 6. But on this day, he then rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. He didn't sit sit down because he was through. He sat down because that was the posture of one who was going to teach. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, listen to what he says. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That which they had heard repeatedly, it had always been read and said, someday, 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 someday. But when Jesus comes, he says, look, here's my mission today, now. This has been revealed. His mission was recorded prophetically, it was recorded historically, and this isn't some claim that he then kind of sloughs off and says, yeah, that's what I'm going to do, and then he gets lazy or then he gets distracted. No, he completes the mission that God has for him. This is not the case of a man stating intentions on which he never follows through. He did what he was sent to do. And the record of the gospel demonstrates the fulfillment of his mission. Certainly, he preaches the gospel to the poor. Certainly, he heals the brokenhearted. Certainly, he sets those who are captive to different sins and different habits and different things, sets free. It's amazing. The uh, miracles, the, the, the paralyzed who are healed, the dead who are brought to life, the blind who are able to see. In passages like Luke 7, we even see him 
raising the dead to Christ. And if you look at Luke 7, John the Baptist is now imprisoned because he's dared to confront Herod in his sin. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet, apart from Christ, who came to prepare the way of the Lord, has been imprisoned. John the Baptist is, is, is having a tough time. He sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 7, Are you really he? that is coming? Are you really the anointed one? Are you the prophesied one? Or do we look for another? He's asking, have we got it wrong? Have we got it wrong? Jesus answers him in verse 22 and 23, and he says, go and tell John, speaking to John's disciples, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Looking at the prophecy in Isaiah and the history in Luke, I believe we get a much fuller and complete picture of the all-encompassing truth of the gospel, the wonder of Christ in his all-encompassing work. And so we're going to look at this under three headings. Now, I wish that I was eloquent. I am not. I know that comes as a great shock to those of you who listen to me week in and week out. I stumble over words in my vocabulary. I have a good vocabulary. I just don't know how to put them in an order that makes sense. But I, I'm going to give you a very simple outline this morning. We're going to look at this under three, pass, under, uh, under, under three headings. The first of those is simply that the world is in a mess of trouble. Isn't that eloquent? The world is in a mess of trouble. Looking at his mission statement. Who did Jesus come to minister to? And what did he did what did he come to do? Listen. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. Can I talk just a minute about how the world is in a mess of trouble? We're poor. We know from scripture financially and economically that we'll always have the poor among us, and there are always those who have and those who have not. But there are people in the West and the Greenville, and there are people who live close to you and people around that God has called us to, to, that Jesus came to preach the gospel to, and his task is ours, that he came to demonstrate love to. He was willing to and sent to those that culture and society looked down on or dismissed or oppressed. We're poor. I don't know if you guys read the Greenville News. Uh, there was a pretty good article. Or I think it might have been the news, maybe in the journal or online. Pretty good article from the director of Homes of Hope. You guys familiar with the Homes of Hope ministry? They opened their annual application process this last week. Started at a given time on a given day. And they were doing it online and in person. And Within the first 15 minutes, their website crashed because there were so many people filling out applications, their servers couldn't handle it. A little panic set in. They got the servers up and running, and they crashed again. And so people began driving to the Homes of Hope office. Within the first couple of hours, they had to say, we can take no more applications. More than 300 applications came in in the first couple of hours. When we look around at our prosperous city, 
and all the new construction that's going on that we graciously get to contribute to. When we look at the people who are moving in, and the people who have been here for a long time, I want you to understand something. There are those among us who are poor, who are struggling economically, who are struggling financially, who are struggling to make ends meet, who are struggling to eat, who are struggling to have a place to live where they're not just living month to month and week to week. And they need good news. They need the good news of the gospel. They need the good news of Jesus Christ. They need the love of Christ displayed toward them. But I do believe that when he talks about the poor here, he's talking about more than just the economically poor. I believe he's talking about the spiritually poor and the spiritually bankrupt. You can have clothes and a nice car and a place that you can call your own, that you don't have to worry about being told to leave. A place where you're comfortable and yet be spiritually bankrupt and broken. A place where you might be economically feeling secure like the rich man told about in the Gospel of Luke who had a successful economic year and he said, i got a nice place and I'm out of room to store my goods and so I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to store more goods and I'm going to compliment myself on my success and I'm going to enjoy it to the fullest and I'm going to eat what I want to eat as much as I can eat and I'm going to drink and enjoy drink to its fullest and I'm going to be merry in this life and Jesus called him a fool a fool not because he was physically wealthy but because he was spiritually broke tonight your soul shall be required of you and there you would stand before a holy God, empty-handed, broken. Gee, we are poor. We are poor. But more than that, we're broken-hearted. He comes to heal the broken-hearted. The word broken-hearted here is suntribo. It means one who has been crushed or shattered. Have you ever sat by someone and they said, I just feel just shattered? I just feel broken. There's so much brokenness in the world today. Listen. There are wives who have been abandoned by their husbands and husbands who have been abandoned by their wives or broken relationships and unfaithfulness. There are bereavement where someone that you love and cherish has died and gone away. There's all kinds of brokenness. Brokenness, everything from the conviction of sin where you are languishing in habits and the brokenness of vice and immorality and spiritual bankruptcy right up to emotional brokenness and mental breakdown. Broken relationships, betrayals, abandonment, loss of status, job, security, loss of reputation, grief. We had some work done over at our offices this past week. Reconcile Community Church was having some work done. And they called us and they said, you guys used an electrician. We need some electrical work done. Can we get his contact information? And we gave it to him. And so they called Gary. We saw Gary last, last winter when he was preparing the electricity in our office. And I hadn't seen him since then came walking to my office door last week and I looked at him and he didn't look like the same guy have you ever seen somebody that's changed so much that, that they're almost not recognizable he had lost about 30 pounds his cheeks were hollow his hair was let's just say unkempt he had hair that's a win but it wasn't combed and he had this hollow look in his face and he said uh, we got work to do I, I'm not sure who to talk to are you the one that called me and I said no Gary it wasn't me it's downstairs I'll take you downstairs and I'll introduce you to him I said how are you and he said 
It's the worst time of my life. I've not done hardly any work since April. In April, my wife and I were riding motorcycles down the road and a careless driver hit, hit us. And she died. And I don't know what to do. Hardly working at all. Sometimes, hard to put one foot in front of the other, get up and go to work on the job. And I just want you to know something. There are broken-hearted people for different reasons, some of their own making, sometimes nothing to do with their own making, that we pass. We live in a world of broken-hearted people. We're poor. We're broken-hearted. But not only that, we're captive. You know what it means, the word captive here, by the way, it comes from two Greek words, which means first one is spear or weapon, and the second is to bind. And it means to be taken captive from the outside. A captive is someone who has been taken by the will of another. I believe it's what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy when he says, listen, you need to... He says that he was preaching that people might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, by Satan, to do his will. Do you realize people can be taken captive by Satan? People can be oppressed. People can be possessed. People can be bound by the will of Satan. Satan is at work in this world. And there has been a great explosion of occultic activity in our society that has become socially acceptable and normal. As a matter of fact, the media uh, enhances this. At least takes down barriers, takes down normal warnings. I I got a warning in my inbox the other day about a, a new cartoon. I think it's from Disney called Little Demon. And here's what the description is. It says, Satan has a teenage daughter. Thirteen years after being impregnated by Satan, a reluctant mother, Laura, and her antichrist daughter, Chrissy, live an ordinary life in Delaware, but are constantly thwarted by monstrous forces, including Satan, who yearns for the custody of her daughter's soul. The target audience for this is elementary school-aged children. You understand, we're just dropping barriers. And that's a cartoon, I understand that. But we're just dropping barriers. I happen to believe that the devil is upping his game. And as we approach the second coming of Jesus, I am absolutely sure that there are many more people in our culture and society that are willing to play his game. They become captives of the devil. Isn't it great? When we recorded Peter going to Cornelius' house, it says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with them. We have people who are taken captive, but there's another word for captive. matter of fact, Isaiah chapter uh, 61, he talks about liberating those who are imprisoned. Not only does he proclaim liberty to the captives, he opens the prison to those who are bound. If a captive is one who's been taken, often prison is of our own making. Our own habits, our own choices, the consequences of previous choices. Many wandered into relatively innocently trying this and testing that, and yet now they're addicted, or now they're enslaved. And even if they stop rationalizing and excusing and excusing and blaming others for their predicament, it seems like they just can't get out. Would you believe me that the world is in a mess of trouble? We are poor, broken-hearted, captive, and blind 
The next word that he uses is blind. We know what blindness is. is a lack of understanding. Some of us are blind and in darkness. And if you are not saved, I want you to understand that you have the spiritual blindness that leads to eternal death. Jesus said of the religious leaders of his day that they were blind leaders of the blind. And both of them fell into the ditch. And we need light. Is there, there are so many examples. I started to take a lot of time on each one of these, but boy, I was getting more depressed as I went down it. And yet every day, we have evidence that the world is in a mess of trouble. Every day we have evidence of the poverty, moral poverty, spiritual poverty, economic poverty. Every day we have evidence of the brokenheartedness. Every day, every day we see people who are taken captive, who are overcome, who are trapped in their own behaviors and their thinkings apart from God, suffering the consequences of their sin. Every day we see people stumbling along in the darkness. One of the joys of being a pastor of this church, 133 years of history, is that we've had some great men of God who stood behind this pulpit in years past. One such was Dr. J. Dean Crane. He became the pastor of this church, stayed the pastor of this church for over 20 years, and he preached the same sermon on his first Sunday and on his last Sunday. Was anybody here then? I'm going to ask because it's not beyond the room of possibility that you are the name of that sermon was actually recorded. It was broadcast on radio. And it was, uh, they made a vinyl LP out of, which I have. And I'd love to give you a copy of it. Or make you get, get you a, a, a digital copy of it. But the title of his sermon was The World's Greatest Need. And his point was that even though the world is in a mess of trouble, there is an answer, but there is only one answer. There's only one eternal answer. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. That's why both in Luke and in Isaiah, he calls it the year of the Lord's favor. It's the reference to the Jubilee year, the 50th year in, in history, when all the slaves were set free, when all the debts were forgiven, when all the lands were restored. There is time today for the deliverance. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Son, the wonder of our incarnation. Jesus came, and He came to respond to the poor by giving them hope and by preaching to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that bad news that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that sins have separated between us and our God, that the wages of sin is death, and yet the good news is that God has a plan. He has an answer. And the answer is His Son, Lord Jesus Christ, who lived sinlessly and went to the cross to shed His blood, to accept our punishment upon Himself, that we might become rich toward God. He who was rich became poor, that we who are poor might become rich. Folks, Jesus is the answer because He comes to heal the brokenhearted. God is certainly the God of all comfort. God is certainly the God who grants peace. God is certainly the God who grants security. But I think this is more than that. I think this is restoration. I think this is making things right. Yes, there may be a scar once you are wounded, but the wound is healed and strength can be restored. Here's what we need to know. Here's what we need to understand. And frankly, this is the third point which we'll get to in a minute. Here's what we need to be telling people. That if you are broken hearted, 
Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus came to restore life and to restore hope. He came to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He can. He came to heal your heart. The sad thing about being a captive is that it's outside of your power to break. You understand that, right? When you're taken captive, you're taken captive outside of your will. It is outside of your power to break. Can I tell you what Jesus came to do? He came to break the chains and open prison doors. He came to break the chains from sin. He came to break the chains from the mindset that we had, the behaviors that we had, from the, the death that we were in. He came to set us free. There's testimony after testimony of people who have been set free from drugs and addiction, from immorality and an immoral lifestyle. People who have been, been set free from sins that were, were even anger and anxiety and depression. Christ has come to set you free. He came to give sight to the blind. He came to turn on the light. We have this treasure in earthly vessels. He says the world doesn't get this because they are blinded. However, the Holy Spirit illuminates and He turns the light on so that those who are stumbling around in darkness can see and can see the truth of God's Word. He comes to liberate the oppressed. I want to share with you a a brief testimony from a young lady named Emily. She writes and says, My struggles with, were, were with anxiety and depression. It began in childhood and worsened in my teen years. I had very few friends. I had none that lasted. I had to take medication prescribed to me. My mental issues would have their ups and downs. And then in June of this year, she's speaking as a 21-year-old, I started to go to church with a friend. There I heard about Jesus. There, Jesus changed my life. I cannot describe what coming to Him has done for me. It is nothing short of a miracle. She goes on to say, I'm still not 100%, but the most important thing He has done for me is He has given me hope. I know everything's going to be okay because I have Him. I find that every day I'm getting better and better. I no longer have panic attacks. I've not had one since July after suffering for over seven years with them. I've learned that the Lord fights for you. That the Lord fights with you. My depression is now mild. Some days I might feel like I'm not good enough or that I'm a bother to other people, but those days are getting fewer and fewer in the Bible. I find a new identity. There is so much hope that can be found to anyone struggling. In her testimony, she says, So I'm telling you, open up your Bible and read. The Lord cares for you. He loves you and He wants you to be okay. Reach out to your church community if you're struggling. They will pray for you and they will care for you. Do you see what I mean about the depth of the gospel? Do you see what I mean? A lot of times we think that the gospel is Jesus died on the cross for us, and he did. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, and he did. And all we have to do is believe. We have to, at a minimum, belief, belief that commits our whole life, belief that yields ourselves and surrenders ourselves. And he comes and he gives us life, and he deals with our life today. We are distinct from people who don't know Christ. We are the ones who should be experiencing 
richness in our walk with Christ and generosity in our dealings with others. We're the ones who should be so in love with Him because when we went through those periods of brokenheartedness, He held us. He comforted us. He strengthened us. And He encourages us. We're the ones who can give testimony to the fact that once I was bound and captive to this thinking or this behavior or this habit, and in Christ, now, today, He has and is setting me free. And yes, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. And yes, I know that He has prepared a place for me. And yes, I know that there is coming a time when there's no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pain. But I can know Him now. I can experience Him now. I can experience the fullness of what it means to be made new now. I don't have to just limp along through the life as a believer. I get to experience abundant living in Christ today. And it's great truth. Now, you know as well as I know that the gospel is not a prosperity gospel. It has not come to Christ and your bank account becomes full. It has not come to Christ and all your heartaches just magically disappear. His promise is more than that. It's better than that. His promise is that He becomes responsible for your care, for your well-being, for your sufficiency. And as you turn to Him and look to Him and depend upon Him, He, he, he fulfills you. He completes you. He becomes increasingly your life. Listen, the world's in a mess, and Jesus is the answer. Can I just tell you something? We need to look at Christ. Christ needs to be exalted in all that we do because that's what this is about. That's what world history is about. That's what our life is about. That's what we as a church is about. I want you to know that His work goes on. He's worthy of our life. I'm not going to take the time this morning. It's all in my notes. I'd be happy to share it with you. Acts 26, when Paul was giving his testimony to Agrippa, Paul says, Jesus met me on the road to Damascus, and he gave me a mission. And when he's describing the mission to Agrippa, you'll see many of the same phrases that we find in Luke chapter 4 and in Isaiah chapter 61. And it is the same truth that Paul's mission was to present and to preach the good news of the gospel that changes life and gives sight to the blind. But you also find in Acts chapter 1, when Luke is writing the history of the church, he says the work that Jesus began, he now continues. And we have Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we are to be witnesses. In Matthew chapter 28, the great commission that we looked at when we were studying what it means to make disciples. Here's what I want you to know. Christ is worthy of our life. Christ is worthy of your inconvenience. Christ is worthy of, of, your, of your money. Christ is worthy of your time and your calendar. Christ is worthy of all of your resources. And when you are filled with the life of Christ and the presence of Christ and the power of Christ, you know what you're going to do? You know? You're going to preach the gospel to the poor. You're going to be used by God to speak comfort in presence and invest your life so that you can be used by Him, a channel through which He heals the brokenhearted. You're going to come alongside of people who are struggling. They have been taken captive externally against their will or they have submitted willfully to captivity, not knowing that they were walking into a prison that they can't get out of on their own. And you get to tell them about Jesus Christ who sets the captive free.
You get to talk to the, the intellectually and the spiritually blind. And folks are everywhere. You don't believe me? Go look at Facebook or Twitter. Go listen to the news. Go listen to the podcast. There are people who are making all kinds of ridiculous claims that have nothing to do with, with Christ or truth, even in the name of Christ. And they need you to be used by the Holy Spirit to help turn the light on, to teach truth, to speak truth lovingly and yet uncompromisingly into their lives. Christ has a mission and His mission is ours as He lives His life in us and through us. Why are we inconvenienced? Because He's worthy. He's worthy. I don't know where you are, but I know that if you're not in Christ, you're in a mess of trouble. Isaiah chapter 61, there's a phrase in that verse that's not quoted in Luke chapter 4. You know what it is? To preach the good and pleasant day of the Lord, the, the time when there's the opportunity to be saved, but also in Isaiah he says, and to preach the day of the vengeance of God. There is coming a day when we will all stand before God and give an account, and there are only two things that we can say. I have trusted in Christ, and Christ has paid my way. He has made provision of me for me, and I am His, and I stand before you in Christ. Or the opposite, which is simply, I have never come to Christ. I have never surrendered to the gospel. I've never responded in repentance and faith. I have depended upon my own merit, my own good works, my own behavior, or not even thought about it, been mindless of it. And the consequences of that is eternal damnation, separation from God. So if you're here and you're not a believer, I would love to talk to you how you can know this God who gives sight to the blind. This Savior who heals the brokenhearted. This one who faithfully preaches good news to the poor. This one who gives you life everlasting. But church, don't miss this. His work is ongoing through you and through me. Isn't God good? He is so good. I'm so excited about the future that he has for us. I'm so excited. His mission. And so let's pray together. Father, thank you for the clarity of understanding what it means to be saved. What it means to be brought from spiritual poverty to spiritual wealth and inheritance that we have in God. To be, to be healed in our hearts. To know that we are cherished and loved and provided for and cared for. To be forgiven. To be washed in the blood of the Lamb. To have a God that has opened our eyes to who He is so that we can sing to Him how great He is and we can live our lives out of adoration toward Him. Father, let us never be content to be receptacles. Make us vessels. Make us channels. Make us the means by which You accomplish Your purpose in the world today. You anointed Christ for His task. We pray for Your anointing upon us. Set us apart. Call us. Equip us and empower us do that which you have called us to do. It is in your name I pray these things.